Good morning, Chillicothe Baptist Church. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome you, and I'm glad that you're here and that you're gathered here today on, on my first Sunday as your pastor. And I feel so blessed, I feel so undeserving, and yet so grateful to, to be here. And if you're here worshiping with us for the first time, uh, well, um, I'm here for my second time. So I, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and, uh, and I would like to just say welcome and to everyone here, I, I would just like to take a minute before we go into God's word together and just say a few things. Um, if you don't know, my family, they're down here. My wife, Christy, and then Ellie, Gabe, Isaac, Eden, and Elias. Not in that pointed order. And then my father-in-law is here today as well. And so we as a family are extremely grateful to be here um, and begin this new journey. I'd like to just say a few things um, to you, just kind of personal things. First, I, I want to I want to thank the pulpit committee uh, for serving Christ in this season and for representing Chillicothe Baptist Church faithfully. Um, we have treasured, I have treasured, my wife and I have treasured uh, every step of this entire journey, amazed at God's providence and how He opened every door. And brought us here. And in fact, again, I'm I'm just speaking uh, personally to you this morning. As I listened to the worship and as we sang the day, back in May, uh, when I saw that the church was looking for a pastor, um, I uh, some things struck me on the website, and then I I went immediately to the worship services, and I watched about maybe one song in. I paused it and I said. Christy, you need to come here, and you need to watch this and listen to these people sing praises to Christ. And immediately, our heart was stirred, and, uh, and I was just compelled uh, to go ahead and, and uh, begin a process of, of presenting my resume and stuff, and, and here we are. So I just want to say I praise God for his providence in every step of this journey, and thank the pulpit committee. Thank you as well for uh, causing me to write my entire doctoral dissertation uh, in the first week of June. And uh, <laughs> that was exciting. I also want to say thank you to the staff and other pastors that are here. I thank you for your leadership and your patience uh, as we've made preparations to get here. And, uh, and still have a couple of weeks of packing and then moving fully but your patience and your leadership, I'm grateful for, and, and I'm very thrilled to join this team. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for the ministry that will take place and will impact my children and our family as well. And, uh, and I extend that as well into the Sunday school. What, what a blessing it was just again to sit under God's word through the teaching uh, in Sunday school classes. And so I just want to commend everything that's going on here. And, um, and, and, I, and I also want to say to the church, to all of you, thank you for your love, your encouragement, and the joy expressed to our family in so many ways. You have no idea what a blessing you are, how undeserving I feel to be your pastor, and the joy you've already become to my heart and to my family. And as Pastor Tim fulfilled his ministry here, I am utterly grateful to follow him as I begin mine. And, uh, and then finally, I just want to say this, and then I'll, 
I'll, I'll pray and then we'll go into God's word. I just want to say this, that as an expression of gratefulness to our Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks to his name for the people that he has saved and that he has assembled here in this place. And I take it with great seriousness that he gives me the task to feed and to protect and to shepherd the flock for his glory, knowing that before him I will give an account. And so I do pray that he will grant me faithfulness and perseverance as we journey together. And so with that, let us pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to to preach here in this pulpit, in this place, and to begin this journey with your people. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and that we know that you are holy and that you are righteous and that you are also gracious and merciful and that you save sinners. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us through the work of your son. Thank you for sending him into the world to die, to be buried, to be raised from the dead. And thank you for the sending the Holy Spirit and for his work in this place, for the redemption that has taken place, for the transformation that has taken place in, in all of our lives and so many here that have a story to tell, a testimony to give. And I pray that even today that you will work in our midst and that you will work in our hearts and that you will transform us through the power of the gospel. I pray that Christ will be exalted and lifted up. I pray that you will cleanse my heart, that you will clear my mind, and that you will fill me to simply be used to walk through your word, and that your word will be lifted high, and Christ will be exalted, and that you will draw each of us to yourself. I thank you for everything that's taking place here, everything that you have done, and we just pray and trust that your will be done in this moment and in the days ahead. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to go to a familiar passage. And as I do, now the time starts for the sermon. So um, as I do, I'm going to go to a, a, a familiar passage with you. And today's message is entitled, Ready to Preach the Gospel. Romans chapter 1. And I want to begin reading in verse 14. And here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. Paul writes and he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm sure that you're familiar with the words ready, set, Go. Those are probably the most famous words that are spoken on an elementary playground. I bet every kid in this room was just thinking about jumping up and taking off across this building. All of us have probably played hide and seek. And what do you say when you're after you're done counting? Ready or not, here I come. In our family, the most used phrase in when it comes time to leave the house or go somewhere is, are you ready yet? And usually it's, dad, 
are you ready yet? Well, I use that as just kind of a bridge because what we see here is we see Paul expressing a certain readiness to come to Rome, to the church there, to the city there, and to preach the gospel. And in many ways, I feel perhaps the same emotion that Paul felt, even as he wrote under divine inspiration, that I'm ready to be here with you and have been for quite some time. And as we begin today, I I want to look at this text specifically and then preach a series of expository messages that I'll just call first things where we will visit some key truths and doctrines that will guide us in the days and in the months and in the years to come. And probably the best place that we could start with is with the readiness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just take a minute and just consider Paul's readiness. As we look here at the Apostle Paul, and he states that he's ready to preach the gospel in Rome, in verses 1 through 7, he emphasizes that he has been called to be a servant of Christ and an apostle of the gospel of God. And then after he says that in the beginning verses, in verses 1 through 7, he he then provides a clear explanation of the gospel of God as it centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you would just take a pen and you would just go through the first 17 verses and underline the word gospel every time it's used, it's used several times. It is clear that Paul is a gospel preacher. It is clear that in Rome there is a gospel church and that Paul is ready to embark on a gospel mission. And so he provides a clear explanation of the gospel in the very first verses, explaining who Jesus is and what he has done and how the gospel has come to be. And then in beginning in verse 8, he extends a prayer of thanksgiving for the church that is at Rome. And he thanks God for them. And he expresses his longing to visit them. And in verse 13, if you look at the text, here's what he says. Just back up to verse 13. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And all he's saying is, is that I've longed to come to you at Rome because I want to reap the harvest of the gospel going forth and transforming people's lives. And then, in verses 14 to 16, he delivers three I I am or I statements that demonstrate his love for the church, his passion for souls, and his commitment to the gospel. And that's where I really want to focus our attention this morning. And the driving idea that Paul, that we could take those three I, those three I statements, I am ready to preach the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians. If we take those three I statements, what we will see is the big idea that that we see in these verses is this. Every pastor in church must be ready to preach the gospel. That's the that's the driving force of this this small section of verses in chapter 1. 
So every pastor in church must be ready to preach the gospel. But what does it mean to then be ready to preach the gospel? What does it mean to be ready to begin ministry together? Why was Paul ready to get there to the, at the church at Rome? And, 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 and why did he want to, why did he want to go there so passionately? These three, this is what, these are the questions that we want to entertain this morning. And there are three things that we see in the text that will prepare us for readiness, for ministry, and that will make us ready to preach the gospel. And here's the pathway through the text. You ready? We're going to look at the debt of the gospel. We're going to look at the determination to the gospel. And then we're going to look at the delight for the gospel that Paul expresses. Those three things will show us that every pastor in church must be ready to preach the gospel. Let's look at the first thing together. Number one, the debt of the gospel. Verse 14. Look what Paul says. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So this debt, kind of a strange word. It's a financial term. And, 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 and there are two aspects of this, of this word debt that I want to look at. First, the obligation of the debt. Why does Paul say that he is in debt? Well, it, it, think of it this way. If, if, if I give my children, if I give one of my kids $20 one morning before school and I say, take these tw- this $20 and make sure that you give it to the secretary in the front office so that your field trip is paid for, what is the debt that my child has? Does my child owe me $20? No. The debt is, is that there's an obligation that my child has to get that money to the front office for the field trip. If I pack an extra lunch for one of my kids, which I would never do, but if I did that, <laughs> if I did that, and I gave it to them, and I said, now you just take this extra lunch and if there's anybody on the field trip or at school that doesn't have an extra lunch, make sure that they get this. Well, they have an obligation to make sure they give the extra lunch to a kid who doesn't have a lunch. They do not have the right to go sneak and eat two lunches. You follow what I'm saying? That's the concept here. The obligation is to the person who is to receive what has been given to that individual, to the kids. They're obligated. And what Paul says here is, is that he presents, this is the idea behind the concept of debt, which is the word that is used in other translations. And here it's translated obligation. We don't think of this as meaning that we owe God or we have to pay God back for our salvation. It's not meant to give a, to present to us guilt or to cause us to feel guilt. The, 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 the concept to the contrary is it refers to his salvation and his call of apostleship. In other words, Paul is obligated because of what Christ has done for him. When Jesus encountered the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he categorically transformed his life, forgiving him of his sin appointing him to preach the gospel. Christ has made him a debtor, meaning Christ has bound him to a sovereign mission or commission to take the gospel and to give it to others, to preach it to others. It is a compulsion, an obligation 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, the verse uh, that Paul writes in verse, verse 16. He says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. He says, For necessity is laid upon me. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see the sense of obligation that Paul has. In other words, here's the thing. Paul's not to make a, he's not, he's not going to make a name for himself. He, he's, he's not there to gain popularity and recognition. He doesn't come to Rome or anywhere else to preach so that he can uh, promote a cause or an event. Why? Why isn't it about Paul? Why isn't it about the person? Here's why. Because the king of heaven stopped him, saved him, and has now sent him with the greatest news in the history of the universe. Now do you get a sense of why Paul says, I'm a debtor, I have a sense of obligation to preach the gospel to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish? Now, bridge that to ourselves today. Bridge that to your own life. Every single Christian should feel this sense of obligation. Think about it for just a minute. God has saved you from your sins. He has rescued us from his judgment. He has redeemed our lives. He has assembled us among the saints. He has done this. And he has sent us into the world to be his witnesses to what Christ has done. And so as a minister of the gospel, I come to you this morning with that obligation, a commission to do what? To proclaim the gospel and to teach the word of God. Not that every sermon is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but every sermon will be because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to really grasp that. Every sermon is not of every Sunday school lesson, every teaching opportunity, every witnessing moment is, 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 is not necessarily just simply a, a, a retelling of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it is because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we seek to know God more fully and understand his will for our lives so that we might serve him faithfully. The obligation then to us is to, is to fulfill what we all have been commissioned to do. So I want you to feel that obligation when you go home and you're with your children. I want you to feel that obligation when you go to work and you're working with your coworkers and the people around you. I want you to have a sense of obligation that God has entrusted you with the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is sending you into the world with that gospel to be a witness to the Savior who has rescued and transformed your life. We need to wake up with that sense of obligation every day. But I want you to notice as well what Paul says here is it's not just this obligation, but he then gives us the object of the debt. What is the object of the debt? Well, he writes to the church there. What does he say? He says, I am under obligation, he says, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul presents the object of the debt. The object is first and foremost the church, the church of Christ, where the gospel has taken root and has produced a people. And, and so, and so that's the object. You say, why would we preach the gospel to Christians? Because we are gospel people. 
The gospel has made us, has created us. And the gospel is what fuels our Christian lives. But at the same time, Paul understands that the church has been put in a city, the city of Rome. And so in that very sense, he's also saying, I'm obligated to the people in Rome to go there and to preach Christ so that the gospel will rescue and save people from their sins. And so he presents that object as the Roman church, and for that matter, the entire Gentile world. And what he does is, notice the, notice the classification. He says, I'm under cl- obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. And so he uses, he, he, he uses an ethnic classification and he kind of uses a socioeconomic classification. What's the point? Here's the point. It simply illustrates the universal need of all people. What is the universal need of all people? Salvation. That's the, that is the universal need of all people. And as Paul progresses into Romans, he will demonstrate the fact of universal sin and universal guilt. The fact is, we are all sinners. We are born in sin. We are conceived in sin. We are born in sin. From our mother's womb, we walk into the world as sinners. And therefore, our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. And furthermore, sin results in the judgment and wrath of God. Read the rest of Romans 1, where Paul says that the wrath of God, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the reality is this. No sinner can save himself. It doesn't matter. And, and, and here's the classification, right? It, it doesn't matter the ethnicity. It doesn't matter the education. It, it doesn't matter the, the status in society. None of that matters. It doesn't matter how well-educated or unlearned a person is. It doesn't matter how cultured or uncultured a person is. It doesn't matter how cool or uncool a person is. Right? All are equally lost. John Piper uses the illustration that when a plane suddenly is dovetailing and it's going to crash, suddenly it doesn't matter who the business class, who the, who the first class are and who the business class are and who the third class are. It suddenly doesn't matter. All of that is gone. Because we realize that we all as human beings stand on the same level before a holy God. And all of us have the same need of redemption. And so here's, here's what's critical when we think about the object of the debt. The necessity to preach the gospel is driven by the need for the gospel. The necessity of preaching the gospel is driven by the need for the gospel. That's why Paul brings up the Greek, the barbarian, the learned, the unlearned, the cultured, and the uncultured. Doesn't matter. They all need Christ. So we need to feel that as well. Do you feel that? No matter where we are or with whom we exist, we have an obligation to represent Christ and to pass on the gospel of Christ as those doors open. John Stott writes this, Nobody may claim a monopoly on the gospel. Good news is for sharing. We are under obligation to make it known to others. Good news is for sharing. And you have 
the greatest news in all the universe. What do you do when you've got good news? You tell others, right? I got the job. I got accepted. She said yes. I hope that's how it goes. Not he said yes. She said yes. We won. It's a boy. It's a girl. I passed. All of those things are are announcing things that we perceive to be good news. We have the news that Jesus saves. And therefore, we are in debt to make that news known to all that are around us. So here's the question. How does that relate to being ready to preach the gospel? Are you ready to fulfill your debt to the lost because of the gospel? Again, I'll tweak the word, not so that we understand. The obligation. Are we ready to joyfully fulfill our obligation to those around us to take the gospel to them? But now that leads us to another observation. Paul first, okay, he says, I'm ready because of the debt of the gospel. But then he says, the determination to the gospel. That's the next thing that we see. So look at verse 15. As he's reflected on the necessity of preaching the gospel, the need of those that are around him, we come right here to verse 15, and look at what Paul says. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And I think that if you look at the word eager, and in other translations it's ready, and it's kind of just a bridge between eagerness and readiness, right? Eagerness is, I can't wait. Can't wait for the game to start. Can't wait for the show to begin. Can't wait to begin the journey, to go on the adventure. All of those things. So that's the idea of eagerness. But readiness is a sense of preparedness. And so those two thoughts kind of blend together. And and what I see here in verse 15 is you see Paul's determination. Not just that he's commissioned, but there, there there is this inward determination. And that's the first thing you see in the determination. He has an inward motivation. So if, if again, you look in the verses previous to this, beyond a sense of divine duty, Paul is driven by a deep desire and motivation to fulfill it. He wants to do it. And here in verse 15, he expresses his emotion. That's what I love about the beginning letters of, uh, the beginning introductions of Paul's letters. He's expressing his emotion, which he so often does. All of us know that there are things that we have to do, right? But you don't want to do them. Correct? Like, kids are like, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. Well, you have to. Correct? (laughs) You, you, You have to go to the dentist. You have to fulfill, you have to fill out your taxes. You have to go to the grocery store. I don't like going to the grocery store. Right? And in verse 15, what we see is a beautiful combination of obligation and motivation. Yes, I have to do this, but I want to do this. There's a a personal desire in Paul that all goes back to the Damascus Road and the transformation of his life because of Jesus. Paul is eager to preach like a horse that's getting ready to bolt from the gate in the Kentucky Derby. You don't, you don't, you don't want to have to induce him to do that. You don't want to have to coerce the horse to come out of the gate. You want that horse to just gun out of that gate and begin to run. I mean, that's how Paul feels about the gospel. I mean, he's at the gate. He's ready. He wants to preach 
the gospel and serve the church at Rome. And so that's his determination. Now here's the thing. It's not just a passing feeling that Paul has. This is the definition of his life. In Acts 20, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Sunday school, the, the conversation was about the trajectory of faithfulness. That you don't measure that on just one sermon or one lesson or just one aspect of your Christian life. But it's a, it's a progression. And, and so Paul's readiness and desire and eagerness to preach Christ, it defines his whole ministry. Preachers definitely should have a passion to preach the gospel. But this isn't just about preachers. This is the way we all should be. We should all be this way. I mean, let me, let me ask you, don't you love it when someone opens the door for you to testify to the gospel of the grace of God? When somebody just asks you that question, you're sitting on the plane and, and that question comes right to you and you're like, I mean, God's just putting it right in front of you and you have a moment to speak Jesus to that person. Doesn't matter if it's on the plane, if it's at work with a coworker, it's at home with your children. Don't you love it when those opportunities come and they arise in your life? The other day I was, I was, as I was closing out teaching, I mean, we're like in the middle of doing something for class and this kid raises her hand and she's like, Mr. Ritter, I want to ask you a question. And I said, okay, what is it? So let me get this straight. You're leaving us to go to a church to talk about God? And I said, well, and this other kid interrupted and said, um, no, no, he's not going to talk about God. He's going to, he's going to preach about Jesus. And that opens the whole door to a, a conversation. A careful conversation, if you will, as you know. But I just love little moments like that. And I know you do as well. Some years back, I went to, had a, do, a, a, to a heart doctor and had a small procedure done. And, and when I was in the doctor's office, the doctor was showing me it was an electrical issue. And the doctor was showing me this diagram of the heart. And then he put a, a video up on the screen. And he's showing all these electrical charges and how the heart operates. And, and as on the screen, the heart is beating and these, these, uh, these, these blue waves come through. And he's like, those are the electrical, that's the energy in your heart. And then he looks down at me and he says, where do you think that came from? <laughs> and I said, well, I got a feeling you know the answer, but I'll go ahead and tell you. And then he just proceeded to talk to me about God and being the creator. And then when I went in to have the procedure done, before, he, before the procedure even began, it was not an invasive, serious procedure. He said, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray because you're in greater hands than mine. You're in the hands of the great physician. I mean, that's a gospel. That, that, what I'm saying is, is, that, is that, yes, this defines Paul. And this should define the preacher and the pastors and the ministers of the gospel. This ought to define every Christian. We are eager. We are determined. We are excited about preaching, sharing Christ. So Paul, not only does he, does he show us this in terms of the, out, the inward motivation. It's a passion that rises up within him. But Paul also shows us that it's an outward mission. Look what he says. 
He says, I am under, he, he says in verse, in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. A particular place is on his mind. He has an outward mission. In this case, it is Rome. He knew that he has, he knew he was called of God. He knew where he was called and he knew what he had to do. And so this morning, so it is with us. Whether it's here, as I think of that pastorally, one of the questions that was asked to me when I came here in August was, do you believe God has called you to Chillicothe, Ohio? My answer that day was yes. My answer today is yes, absolutely. (laughs) And God has worked wonders to bring us here to preach the gospel. But guess what? All of you have an outward mission whether it is a household of kids or you're caring for day in, day out or anywhere the Lord has planted you, God intends for you to put the gospel out there in the marketplace of ideas to transform lives. And so the application is this. Are you eager and determined to proclaim the gospel? Are you? Are you eager and determined to proclaim the gospel? Think right now what that will look like when you wake up tomorrow as you go into the week ahead. And let us be marked by motivation and mission with that eagerness. That leads us to a a third and final observation here in the text. Paul Paul has told us that he's ready to preach the gospel. And we see that it is because of the debt of the gospel. We've seen it's because of his determination to the gospel. And now thirdly we see it is his delight for the gospel. His delight for the gospel. Look at verse 16. I mean, this is obviously the thesis of the book of Romans. And, and this is one of the most memorized and quoted passages of Scripture. But Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here, Paul provides a final component to define his readiness. And I want to say something here. Before we look at his delight in the gospel, which is expressed by being unashamed of the gospel, Paul knows that it is not going to be a walk in the park. I mean, you really need, you, we really need to grasp that. Paul knows when he says, for I'm not ashamed, he's not saying that with an an arrogant uh, boastfulness. He's saying that as a practical reality that he has lived out. Paul is no fool when it comes to the gospel. He had been imprisoned in Philippi. He had been mocked and he had been even, uh, even he had been mocked and ridiculed and persecuted. In other cities. He had been kicked out of cities. And in some cases he had been left for dead. He was hated by the religious. He was mocked by the cultural elites. And in many cases he experienced various troubles even in the churches that he had planted. But as he comes to verse 16 he says, but I am unashamed of the gospel. And so Paul makes it clear that the gospel delivers an offense to the world that will provoke hostility. 
To to say I am not ashamed or to say I am unashamed of the gospel is to really expect there to be pushback, hostility. Not everybody's going to like it. Paul knows this. To the Corinthians, he says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. They mock the foolishness of the cross. They mock the idea that we are sinners and that, that, that we cannot save ourselves. Expect it. Expect there to be hostility when it comes to biblical truth and gospel teaching. So we have to be prepared to be unashamed. We, and we need to broaden that out from the, from the center of the gospel to anything that the scriptures speak clearly to. We cannot be ashamed of what the Bible says when it comes to divine truth. And so we can expect that the culture will not walk in step with those who are going to be committed to the truth of the word of God. And so with that in mind, Paul says, listen, it is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. So Paul is unashamed of the gospel for two reasons. And he gives it to us right here. He is unashamed for two reasons. One, the gospel unleashes the power of God. Notice that Paul does not say that the gospel contains power. He doesn't say that it gives power. He doesn't say that it gives people the ability to help themselves. That's not what he says. He says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is not advice to help people. The gospel is power to save people who are otherwise powerless to save themselves. Someone might say, well, then what does it save us from? Well, that's a great question. And what Paul does is he says, the power of God to what? To salvation. The gospel is able to give us salvation. Romans 5 verse 9. The Bible says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So how is it that the gospel unleashes the power of God? Here it is. Because the gospel is able to bring a person into the experience of true salvation. How is that possible? Because the gospel gives you not a formula. The gospel doesn't give you a religion. The gospel doesn't give you a ritual. The gospel gives you a person. It gives you a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, who alone can save sinners. As we have sung today, he came from heaven. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to atone for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And it is Jesus who can save you. See, we, we, we have to be really careful with this. Because I think sometimes we just, we, and I love the word gospel. But we can almost use the gospel so much that we forget that the gospel, it, the gospel is a person. Mark chapter 1. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. 
The gospel is a person. And so when we talk about being saved, and we talk about being born again, and we talk about all that has happened to us through what God has done, it has all come to us through the person and the work of Jesus. So today, you're sitting here, and you may be here this morning, and you have not been saved. You could not say that you have experienced true biblical salvation. You might say, well, I've been baptized, or I've taken the Lord's Supper, or I've attended church, or I've done this, or I consider myself a good person. But you see, none of those things will save you. The only way that you can be saved from the wrath to come, the only way you can be forgiven of your sin, the only way that you can be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says here. Because he says, it is the power of God unto salvation to all who what? Believe. Believe. There you have the scope and the requirement of salvation. The gospel's for everyone. For everyone. For the Jew first, because that's the order in which the gospel came to us. To whom salvation was revealed. To whom Jesus was born. And then the gospel is for the Gentiles. That's what Paul says. And what he's just, all he's doing is, is the gospel, what he's saying in this verse is, the power of God unto salvation, it is a salvation that is available to everyone. There is no limitation. Right? There is no limitation. There is no sin that keeps anyone from the reach of the gospel. But ultimately, there was only one gospel that saves. There's not many gospels. There's not a lot of Gospels. There's one Gospel because there's one Savior and there is one message that has been given to us that will deliver us from sin and make us right with God. And so we have to keep this in mind, especially in our day and time. Because if you, if you look around, you, you'd almost think, well, there, you know, there's a gospel for this group of people. There's a gospel for that group of people. And then you have some that come along and they say, well, you know, the gospel's not so much just about what Christ has done and about being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But, you know, there's also these other things that we can add to it. And, and there's these other dimensions that we have to, we have to be listening to those things and we have to recognize, no, wait a minute, there's only one gospel for all people. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the one requirement to receive that gospel is to simply believe and repent of our sins. And that's what Paul says. You have to believe. You have to believe. Now here's that dynamic of sovereignty and responsibility. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) He says every person has to receive salvation. Have you received salvation? Well, how do I know I've been saved? Do you believe the gospel? Have you, do you, have you admitted yourself to be a sinner before God? And have you believed that Christ died and was raised from the dead for your sins? If you believe and you repent of your sin, guess what? The Bible says you will be saved. <laughs> and so that's, that's what Paul's getting at here. You, everyone who believes, it is faith. It's not a faith that just sees the life preserver there floating in the water, but it's a faith that grabs a hold of it, embraces Christ for salvation. And I want you to see the dynamic because here's the thing. No one believes 
unless the power of God works in them. Faith is not a work of our own. It is a gift of God. And so anyone who believes, guess what? The power of God has been unleashed through the gospel. And God has enabled us to believe. And so today, if you're here and you have never been saved, you need to surrender your life to Christ and believe the gospel. But there's one other reason Paul's not ashamed. And I could preach a whole entire sermon just on this verse. And I, in some ways, won't do it justice, but we have a whole journey together, okay? So we can do that a different time. But here's the other reason that Paul is unashamed. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Paul is unashamed of the gospel because it reveals God's righteousness. And that is why Paul is not inclined to coddle to people. He's not inclined to, to, to try to make the gospel, you know, pliable or, pli- or, or try, to, try, try to adjust it to fit people. He says that the gospel reveals the holiness and the righteousness of God. And when a sinner sees the righteousness of God and we see the holiness of God, we see how separated we are from God. And we then see that we need to be made righteous if we are to stand before this righteous God. And so when he says, in it is the righteousness of God revealed, what he's saying is, in the gospel, an alien righteousness that is not our own comes to us from God through the gospel. It is this verse that transformed Martin Luther's life. Because Luther had spent his whole existence trying to earn his way to heaven through the sacraments and through his good works and his merit and his efforts. And then he realized, I have no righteousness of my own to stand before a righteous God. But this God has provided a righteous Savior who if I simply believe in Him and through faith receive salvation through Him, I will then be forgiven of my sin. But here's the other beautiful part of it. I will be robed in perfect righteousness. That is, the, that is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed. In other words, what else do we have to boast in? What other work, what other good deed, what other effort, what what do we have to boast in? We have nothing. All we have is the gospel. And so, friend, you cannot earn righteousness. You cannot be made righteous on your own. And Paul then quotes the prophet Habakkuk to show that this is the way it has always been. God has always saved sinners by grace through faith, beginning from Abraham all the way through the course of redemptive history. And if you and I want to be right with God, then we must embrace Christ and receive righteousness from Him. And so as a result, we must not be ashamed. Let us be unashamed. And so as we, as we, as we come then to the ending of this point, here's the application. Are you ready to commit your life to Christ and embrace the gospel? Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. What a day for you to right now, this moment, believe on Christ and be born again. And then 
for us who are here today as believers, are you unashamed of the gospel? I mean, what else is going to save? There is nothing else. So let us be unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and it reveals the righteousness of God. This is what we stand in, the gospel of Christ. And that's why Paul was ready to go to Rome. Now, in closing, in closing, I want to go back to the opening illustration because this has been about being ready, Paul being ready, and why he was ready. And I opened talking about playgrounds and kid stuff. But we're not on a playground. We're not going on a trip necessarily. We're beginning ministry together for the glory of Christ and the good of his church. This is a serious, serious, glorious endeavor. And so when I think of readiness from that angle, I think it's phenomenal that on September 11th, Todd Beamer and a few other passengers on Flight 93 attempted to regain control of a plane from terrorists who intended to crash it into the White House. And do you know what the last thing he said before they tried to overtake those terrorists? He said, are you guys ready? And then he said, let's roll. And then we know what happened. But they were ready for a serious task, knowing the risks, not fully realizing what the cost might be, but they were ready. Brothers and sisters, we need to be ready to preach the gospel. Every pastor in church must be ready to preach the gospel and to engage in gospel ministry. So I ask you these questions. Have you experienced the power of God and salvation through the gospel? Will you fulfill your debt, your obligation? Let us do that together. Are we determined to preach the gospel? And do we delight in the gospel unashamed of what Christ has done and its power and its righteousness that it gives us? We're ready to preach the gospel. Let's stand. As the worship team comes, let's pray. And then as we, as we sing this morning, let us in our hearts, let us pray and let us seek the Lord. Let us be grateful for what is ahead and let us ask God to make us ready to be unashamed, to be determined, and to fulfill our obligation. And if there's someone here that's never been saved, may you now, in this moment, Give yourself to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it has been imperfectly proclaimed. And God, it has been graciously received. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would appropriate this into our hearts and lives. And God, that we will be ready to go out and preach the gospel. And that we will see the need of all those around us. And that, Lord, that we will be determined to make Christ known. And that in the days ahead, we will be unashamed knowing the cost, knowing the hostility that may exist towards the truth, God, may we be found faithful. And I pray that you do the work in the hearts of your people this morning as we sing and as we worship. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.